welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcasts in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Good afternoon, and welcome back to another exciting adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening to us live on Block Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News. Also up on YouTube, Facebook, Stitcher, Spreaker, oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chick, Annie, along with my debonair and oh-so-erudite co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, welcome back, and how are you today? I'm doing just great. I am hoping to get some insight today through our guests on global warming, especially since uh, the hurricane season is upon us. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, we got a great guest today. First up on the bullpen is Dr. Timothy Ball, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, and the second half we're having from England, Mark Sutherland. So Dr. Timothy Ball will be calling in from Canada, and our next guest will be calling in from England. So it's going to be a very international show today. It's going to be a lot of fun, very, very exciting, and a great book. That's great. <laughs> okay. You're awake, Curtis, today, aren't you? I was <laughs> <laughs> oh, just telling you Oh, man. To keep up with the main stories on Fox News, I got to turn that on. I always <laughs> usually have it on in the background. Uh, all right. Well, I want to welcome everyone that's listening in in the studio, watching us on Facebook and uh, YouTube. I'll try to keep up with the chat rooms as best as I can between those services, but I have to bounce between two different computers in order to do that. So just bear with me as I try to get my act together. Speaking of getting my act together... Uh, everyone that listens to the show knows we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going out to Army Specialist ATN, ATN J. Murphy, who died on May 26th last year, 2017, while serving during Operation Inherent Resolve. And this is from uh, Honor the Fallen page. Specialist ATN J. Murphy, 22, of Loganville, Georgia, died May 26th in Al-Hassanak, Syria, of injuries sustained during a vehicle rollover-related incident. Murphy was assigned to 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment, out of Hunter Army Airfield in Georgia. Specialist ATN Murphy, 22, died of injuries sustained, according to the Pentagon. He was an infantryman 
assigned to B Company, 1st Battalion, 75th Rangement, out of Hunter Air Force, I apologize, Hunter Army Airfield in Georgia. He was on his first deployment, according to information released by the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. Murphy was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and enlisted in the Army from his hometown of Snellville in Georgia in June of 2013. After training at Fort Benning, Georgia, Murphy served in the 2nd Battalion, 22nd Infantry Regiment, which is part of the 10th Mountain Division's 1st Brigade Combat Team at Fort Drum in New York. In October of 2015, Murphy volunteered to serve in the 75th Ranger Regiment, successfully completing Airborne School and Ranger Assignment and Selection Program. He was assigned to the 1st Battalion, 75th Regiment, where he served as an anti-tank gunner. And this is from WCVB.com. A U.S. service member who was born in Boston was killed in a vehicle accident in northern Syria. Etienne J. Murphy, who recently turned 22, was an infantryman assigned to Bravo Company. Officials said he was on his first deployment. He was born in May of 1995 in Boston, attended Brookfield Elementary School in Brockton, and served in Brockton High School before the family moved away. Murphy enlisted in the U.S. Army from his hometown of Snellville in Georgia in June of 2013. He and his wife were married three years prior, and they have two children. He was doing what he loved to do, said Aretha Murphy, his grandmother. I love that about him. Shania Murphy-Porter said joining the Army was her cousin's lifelong passion. He was into his Green Army men as a child, all over the house, she said about Murphy. He included the whole neighborhood in his battles. He knew what he wanted and was going after it. That's the whole thing right there, Aretha recalled. I said, ATN, you're going to be somebody. And he would laugh at me and say, yes, Nana. The Army said Murphy's awards and decorations included the parachutist badge, Army Achievement Medal with three Oak Leaf Custers, Army Good Conduct Medal, National Defense Service Medal, Global War and Terrorism Service Medal, Army Service Ribbon, NATO Medal, and Operation Inherent Resolve Campaign Medal with Campaign Star. Murphy was posthumously awarded the Army Commendation Medal. His parents and an aunt traveled to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, where Murphy's body was returned and services were held in Atlanta. And finally, his obituary from Dignity Memorial. ATNJ Murphy, Specialist, U.S. Army, 22, of Snellville, passed away Friday, 26, 2017, while serving a tour of duty in Syria. He was part of Operation Inherent Resolve. He was a loving husband and son, an amazing father to his two boys, and a friend to many. He spent his days constantly joking and making anyone who came across him smile. He did everything he set out to do in his career and life. And although his life was cut short, his name will never be forgotten. He survived by his loving wife, children, parents, brothers, and a host of loving relatives and friends. Today's show is dedicated to Specialist 
ATNJ Murphy. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there who serve in the military from the birth of this nation through today and into the future. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We dedicate the show to all of them with this song by Todd Allen Harrington. My name is America. May God bless each and every one. Sorry, wrong song. Okay, let's try to play this up and see if we can get this to work. Here we go.
we're back. You're here listening live to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains Daily News, Kinetic Hi-Fi, The Fix FM out of Charleston, South Carolina, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, all the heck with it. You know what I'm going to say next. Just go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com or southern-sense.com, however you want to call it. <laughs> I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, we've got a great guest on the phone. He's got a fantastic book out called Humans Cause Global Warming, The Biggest Deception in History. Uh, shall we welcome aboard to our nuthouse over here, <laughs> Dr. Tim Ball. Good afternoon, Dr. Ball. <laughs> Thank you, and I'm not allergic to nuts. <laughs> we sorry, never know sorry, what happens. You, Everything is. Well, I know. Sorry, you didn't expect an academic with a sense of humor. That's the problem. <laughs> Always appreciate it. Well, we're glad there are a few of you out there fighting the good cause. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I think it's one of the greatest. Well, I was going to say it's. I think it's one of the greatest gifts he gave us. It's a thing that makes us human, and it's absolutely essential to life. Humor. You know, what I love about you is that you're not afraid to say science and faith can go hand in hand, and you know, um, there's a so many academics out there that think um, faith is is does not. Uh, does not mesh with science, that the two separate well, things, that faith must be destroyed. Well, exactly. And, and part of the reason in this battle on the global warming issue, which, by the way, is the largest fake news, uh, the granddaddy of all fake news, or maybe I shouldn't say granddaddy, that's uh, <laughs> but um, it, it, uh, it's been going on for 40 years, and um, it's also being perpetrated and promoted by the deep state. It was deliberately set up through the bureaucracies at the UN. So it's the original fake news deep state story. And um, it, it, but there's another important issue with it, and that is that um, it is the final phase. What's going on right now is the final phase of the American Revolution. Now, the American Revolution, of course, um, is critical to the world. And the reason it's being opposed is because it combines two things. One is politics and the other um, is religion in a, in a nation. And that's why they always try to say separate nation and state. Um, America is about free will. Christianity is about free will. And so combined, that's why they become the target uh, of all of this. And by the way, one of the reasons that I developed my awareness of uh, this whole religious uh, situation was I taught a science credit for art students for 25 years. Almost every single year a student would say, do you believe in God? Because they all assumed that if you were a scientist, you didn't believe in God. And the, the point I want to make with all of this is that in this debate of global warming, you notice that Darwin keeps popping up. You know, Dawkins, God is dead, and all the rest of it. When uh, What happened was that science and the scientists in Britain used Darwin to defeat religion. And, of course, what by doing that, they blocked any questioning of what Darwin said or did. Because if you dare to say, well, Darwin might be wrong or there's something wrong, or you're immediately labeled a creationist. And, and um, 
So uh, Darwin himself on his deathbed said there's problems with my theory. And uh, a fellow by the name of Alfred Russell Wallace also pointed out what's wrong with Darwin's uh, evolutionary theory. So this is all part of, of an ongoing battle that's been going on for 200 years and is now culminating in the final phase of the American Revolution, which is access to information. And I'm going to, sorry, I'm babbling a bit too much here, but I just want to read you a very quick poem from 1782. And because we hear, you see the mainstream, sorry, did you want to say something? No, I just said go ahead. Okay. Um, the, um, uh, the mainstream media are as opposed to Trump as anybody. They are, they are, have always been the, uh, the water carrier for the uh, swamp. During the during the American Revolution, the one way that the founding fathers and the revolutionaries got around the mainstream media was through the use of the pamphlet. The pamphlet was the equivalent of today's internet, where people like your blog radio are by, bypassing the mainstream media and getting their in, own information. But in in, in uh, 1782, a fellow wrote a poem called "The Progress of Error," and, and here's what he wrote. How shall I speak of thee or thy power address, thou God of our idolatry, the press? By thee, religion, liberty, and laws, their influence and advance their cause. By thee, worse plagues than Pharaoh's land befell, diffused make earth the vestibule of hell. Thou fountain at which drink the good and wise, thou ever-bubbling spring of endless lies. Like Eden's dead probationary tree, knowledge of good and evil is from thee. That's 1782, and look what's going on today. So, so this, what's happening, whether you like Trump or not, what's happening is, is, as I said, the final phase of the American Revolution, where the people have finally got access to information that isn't controlled by the power elite. That's an absolutely wonderful analogy, uh, because if it wasn't for the printing of those private pamphlets, you know, yep. I don't know if the revolutionary cause would have advanced. And plus, yep. there's also faith, because there was the, the uh, black-robed regiment from the pulpits that preached the message. And if anyone wants to know who started the American Revolution, it wasn't the bullet at Bunker Hill. It happened to have been Christ, because that's the message yep. he preached, personal responsibility and independence. Yeah, and one of the ways that we're that I'm seeing this is that um, over the last several years, I've done several uh, programs with uh, religious groups, uh, Southern Baptists out of Coral Gables, for example, where they found that the, what their children were being taught in the schools wasn't education, it was indoctrination. And they found the only way that they could offset it was to do it in Sunday school. So I did a few short uh, videos for them that they could show the, the children, well, here's the other side to this issue. The first group that brought this to my attention was a woman who edits the uh, Scottish Catholic Parishioners Journal, and they were outraged when their bishop ordered the priests to preach about global warming in the pulpit. And their, the parishioners' response was, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And, and so people are, are becoming aware of these things and dealing with them in their own ways. But, of course, they can't, they can't trust their government or, or have their government fight uh, for them as they were originally intended to do. So there's really interesting things going on. Well, your book is an excellent book, and I happen to love Kindle. I actually prefer hard, hard copies of books, especially when they're signed by the author, hinted. 
<laughs> but the fun part about Kindle is that I can highlight and then just print out the notes that I wanted to highlight on. And you started off in your book uh, with a quote from Klaus Eckert Pools. Uh, he was a yeah. German meteorologist and physicist. And he stated, 10 years ago, I simply parroted what the IPCC told us. One day I started checking the facts and data. First, I started with a sense of doubt. But then I became outraged when I discovered that much of what the IPCC and the media were telling us was sheer nonsense and was not even supported by any scientific facts and measurements. To this day, I still feel shame that as a scientist, I made presentations of their science without first checking it. Wow. Yes. Well, exactly, and of course, you see, they try to they being the Inter Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change in the United Nations, who and by the way, uh, the National Weather Offices, uh, because when they set up the IPCC, um, the Club of Rome got Morris Strong to go to the United Nations, set up the United Nations Environment Program, and in order to get the science that they wanted to prove that human CO2 was causing global warming, um, they uh, they did it through the bureaucracies. The, the, the World Meteorological Organization uh, is the, are the people that uh, appoint people to the IPCC. That's all the national weather offices across the country. Strong knew that if you control the bureaucrats, you control the politicians. And that, that's precisely uh, what he did. Now, the reason, of course, that they wanted the, the um, CO2 and the global warming to become the focus was they needed an issue that was global in its threat. This is the original chicken little, the sky is falling story. And, and so uh, what they had to do was to show that CO2 from human industry and development and progress uh, was causing uh, the runaway global warming and that oh, no nation, well, no one nation could uh, deal with this. What you needed was a, a United Nations organization uh, to deal with it. So it was effectively uh, a socialist takeover of, of, the, um, of the world. And Strong, of course, who was another of these billionaire socialists, in a book uh, by Elaine Dewar called Cloak of Green, he said, uh, she said, well, what's the problem for the planet? And he said, the problem for the planet are the industrialized nations, and isn't it our responsibility to get rid of them? And she said, well, why don't you run for politics? And he said, you can't do anything as a politician. Well, of course, Washington and the, the American public are finding that out right now. So she said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to go to the U.N. because I can raise uh, my own money from whoever I like, appoint anyone I want, and control the agenda. And after five days with Strong at the U.N. setting up this whole climate scam, uh, uh, Elaine Dewar concluded Strong was using the U.N. as a platform to sell a global environment crisis and the global governance agenda. And, of course, so you see this um, conflict um, between uh, total control and, and, of course, socialism, and then the threat of America and free will and Christianity. This is, this is the battle royal. Yeah, it, it's Dr. such Ball. a scam because I also yeah. I, I remember growing up in the in the sixties and seventies when they were saying oh, that the globe is getting colder and cooling. colder because of CO two. I remember yeah. I even actually had a pair of Earth shoes. <laughs> the, the scam has been going on for not just a couple of decades, but for close to or yeah. more than half a century. 
Let me anticipate your, Curtis, your fellow's uh, question. Yeah, um, the, well, yeah, go ahead, Curtis, but let me anticipate your question. Be, because, um, uh, well, no, ask your question. No, let me make my point. Environmentalism <laughs> was, a new, was a, sorry, environmentalism was a paradigm shift. We, every once in a while, society takes a whole different view of things. Feminism was an example. Environmentalism was one. What happens with any of these uh, new ideas which are very basically good at their center, is that most people say, well, hang on a minute, I'm afraid of change because when change occurs, somebody gets hurt and it might be me. So there's a, a conservatism in there. But there's a small group of people that grab, see the financial and power potential of the idea and grab it and take it. And that's what happened with environmentalism, and it happened with feminism. And, and, um, and of course, um, with the environmental issue, these people took the high ground, like the Sierra Club, like Greenpeace, and uh, they then said, oh, only we care about the environment. You people don't care about the environment. Well, how dare you do that? But this is, this is a power game. That, this is what it's all about. And by the way, uh, if you want to see proof of the political agenda behind this whole global warming thing and environmental issues, I'm a very good friend of Patrick Moore, who is the co-founder of Greenpeace. And when he set it up, it had a very good basis of, hey, it, it doesn't make sense to soil our own nest. We've got to live within the limits of nature. And, and But he said, he told me, he said, within four years, Marxists moved in and took over. And I fought them for four years, and I finally gave up. I could not uh, fight them anymore. And he, and he surrendered Greenpeace to Marxists. And, of course, they've used that then as, as a club over people's head ever since. Sorry, go ahead, Ned Curtis. Uh, I shouldn't have interrupted you there. I get so excited about this stuff. <laughs> um, isn't it true that the proponents of um, global warming changed the term to um, climate change because people were waking up to the fact that global warming was a farce? And, I mean, who can deny the climate is changing? Well, exactly, and and of course, uh, you know, saying that the climate is changing is say is like saying you know women have have babies, and, and it's so basic and natural. Um, but what what they knew when they uh, well, to back to your point about changing it, it started out as global warming, and uh, uh, starting in 1998, the global temperatures started to cool down, and uh, by 2004, uh, they realized that. Uh, People were starting to ask questions. They said, well, hang on, we, we got cold and snowy winters. We got record low temperatures. What on earth is going on? And, oh, by the way, notice that your temperature is going down, but the CO2 levels continue to go up in complete contradiction of, of your hypothesis. And so uh, we've got leaked emails from the Climatic Research Unit in East Anglia where what they, what they say in one of the emails is, look, this is becoming a hard sell to the public, the global warming idea. Maybe we're better to change the name to, global, to, to climate change. And they did that starting in 2004. It was a deliberate move. What proper science should have done was, hey, the facts aren't fitting our hypothesis. Maybe we need to reexamine our science. But they couldn't do that because uh, they'd already uh, used the science for their political agenda. And so they moved the goalposts. They started gl calling global warming climate change. And, of course, global warming skeptics like me became climate change deniers. And, and uh, they just simply shifted everything. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Curtis. Yeah, I've always said follow the money. 
and it's a multi-billion-dollar business. I don't know if you are aware of or know uh, Gregory Wrightstone, because he wrote a book called Inconvenient Facts, and along the same lines as you, where you you show where the philosophy came from, where the ideas and what the motivation was, he looks at just the actual data and debunks the data, which you also do in your book. Uh, the two of you, I think, should actually unite your two books. And what a textbook would you, the two of you could come up with? Uh, well, of course, you'd amazing. have to get it past the teachers' union. Yeah, sorry, you'd have to get it past the teachers' <laughs> union in, into the school. But I'm going to take issue with your your point about the money. Rush Limbaugh says that follow the money, and to a certain extent, I agree with you. But what you have to understand is that this small group of people. We're not and are not interested in money. We're talking about David Rockefeller. We're talking about people that are, are multimillionaires and billionaires. They, it's all about power. And as, as, as uh, Lord Acton said many years ago, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, and what they were after was the power. They also know, of course, that with the power comes the money, but the money is not the objective. They know that with the money they can buy people who will do their bidding. As that, as that great astute awareness of human, humanity, Machiavelli said, you know, deceivers will always be able to find other deceivers to support their argument. And, and so, um, yes, money uh, tells you some of the story and, and the use of government funding to hire, hire and, uh, researchers that would produce the scientific results they wanted. Um, yeah, that, that's certainly a major part of it. Uh, and by the way, the U.S. government spent something like $70 billion in less than 10 years on, on climate change or global warming. But, but, but at the top of the issue is the power. Uh, that, that is one of the things, too. Uh, I would say it's the, the end result of Agenda 21. If you, can control, yep. if you can control the way a person lives and do, you control their vote, you control their money, you control everything, and it is the ultimate power play. So again, Agenda 21, it's got a new name now. I forget what the new name for Agenda 21 is. Again, a program out of the UN. And it's, well, it's, it's agenda, global yeah. government. It's, yeah, it's Agenda 2030 is the, is the new name for it. And, and of course, it, it was, 21 was that the, uh, it's Agenda for the 21st Century. Who was the creator of that? Morris Strong. He was the guy that uh, created this whole program through the United Nations Environment Program, and he introduced it to the world at the Rio conference in 1992, which, by the way, George Herbert Bush looked at and said, I'm not going anywhere near that, and, and refused to go to, to the Rio conference. But that was where the whole thing was put before the world. And, of course, um, it, it was also uh, done, again, through the bureaucracies. Al Gore was a major uh, promoter of it. And one of the things, of course, that people don't know about Al Gore is that he was also the major promoter of a conference on world overpopulation uh, that was held in Cairo, Egypt in 1994. And you notice that this is the 50th anniversary of Paul Ehrlich, uh, who wrote the uh, the uh, overpopul or the population bomb? Go and look at the predictions he made. Every single one of them, absolutely wrong. And, and yet he still continues to have credibility in the community. And uh, that at the center of of the um, environmental issues and climate issues is that humans are um, a, a, an enemy of of nature. That we shouldn't even be on the planet. 
And, and of course, uh, you see the bumper stickers that were around that said, you know, save the planet, kill yourself. Or Prince Philip, who actually said, believe it or not, when interviewed, if you were reincarnated, what would you want to come back as? And he said, a deadly virus to kill off most of the people. And, and my, my response to that was, yeah, well, let's start with the monarchy. But, but you see these <laughs> themes through all of this. It's all about control and power and, and uh, uh, controlling everybody's lives. And, of course, America and Christianity are the personifications of that threat. You know, it's funny because I had just finished your book and I pulled up onto my Kindle saying, what do I have up next? And a lot of things that you were pointing in your book I found was also in this gentleman's book, I don't know if you know him, David Berlinski. He wrote The Devil's Delusion, Atheism and Its um, Scientific Pretensions. And everything that you talk about in your book is also supported in what he writes. You know, with science today, the vast majority of scientists uh, are on an atheist agenda. And anything to to put forward false, false facts and let the people just follow along like sheep. We're too stupid yep. to see through the illusion. We're just too dumb. So because I'm a scientist, because I'm an academic, my word is final because you're too dumb to even figure it out. Well, and you, you can watch David Berinsky. Um, uh, Mark Levin interviewed him on his program on Fox last Sunday. And and he talks about exactly that. Yes, um, so I'm very well aware, well aware of of his book. But um, the uh, and, and by the way, just to, to see the kinds of things that have gone on back in 1932 in Tennessee, where they took a, a, a substitute teacher by the name of Scopes to court for uh, t- teaching creationism, and they said he should only teach um, uh, Darwinism theory, and the court ruled yes. You only teach the, the school system of Tennessee can only teach Darwin's evolutionary theory. Even that is wrong. Uh, what what should happen in the schools is you teach both and let the people make up their own minds. But you see that cannot be allowed to happen. And and so you see what Berinsky's talking about and what I talked about earlier, where they used Darwin to defeat religion. But here's what they did. They they ruin science by doing that because normally what would happen is a, a theory is created by people like Darwin, and then other scientists, as skeptics, because if you're not a skeptic, you're not a scientist, you challenge that new theory. And it either holds up to testing and, and empirical testing, or it falls. Well, nobody dares question Darwin, and so uh, it, it perpetuates itself and persists. Uh, because of this fear uh, of scientists. It's the same thing, by the way, that I get, where people say, look, uh, or scientists say to me, we agree with you, but we'd never say it publicly because we'd be immediately branded as creationists or right-wing. And that's a, that's the, another measure of how political this is. Because if you say, look, I don't I don't accept the human-caused global warming argument, oh, well, you're one of those conservative right-wing nutjobs. If you accept it, you're a left-wing intelligent socialist. Uh, that that measure alone. The other measure that shows it's uh, it's political and not scientific is the 97% consensus argument. Consensus has nothing to do with science. It's purely political. 
And um, as as Michael Crichton, the great author, said, if if if, if it's a consensus, it's not science, and if it's science, it's not a consensus. And and Einstein said, I can have a hundred the- uh, tests that show that I'm right. One shows me wrong, and that's the end of it. So everywhere you look, uh, you can see what's going on of the political use of science. Uh, for an uh, an agenda of total control. The other thing is that when you look at any segment of the population, 80% are art students and about 20% are science. So they knew right from the start that only about 20% would understand what they were saying, and it was very easily to, easy to marginalize them, you know, people like me. Um, I, I get personal attacks, but I've also had three lawsuits all filed by members of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and um, it's it's cost me $600,000 in legal bills so far. I'm not complaining. I knew when I fought that that's what would happen. But you look at the use of the law in Washington right now, uh, the law designed to protect free speech, protect people's rights, and it's being used to silence them. And, and, and you see that Caputo was on uh, Rush Limbaugh, uh, and, and so on. It's re- really, truly, the the, uh, the American Revolution is totally under full scale attack right now. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you about the the lawsuits and how they're going on that. Have you been able to beat them? Well, I won the first lawsuit. Uh, my wife and I just said, "Look, we can't afford to fight this," so we uh, we withdrew what we wrote. And, of course, one of the things they do is they file the lawsuit against me, but also against the publication. So there's a chilling effect of it. And, of course, other, other scientists say, I'm not, I, don't, I can't afford lawsuits, so I'm not going to say anything. But the, So the first one, we, we simply withdrew. Uh, the second one, we just uh, were in court uh, last December, and we got a total victory. The judge um, said there was nothing defamatory about what was said. Because what I argued was that it was the misuse of science that I was writing about. And so the judge threw the case out. And by the way, that court case was brought by a professor who is with the IPCC. He's a computer modeler. And um, he now is the leader of the Green Party in the province of British Columbia. But to give you an idea of the minds of these people, he has a wall of his office at the university, which, of course, he still retains, even though he's in politics. He has a wall in his office that has a label at the top of it that says, the wall of hate. And he has all of these people that he says to his students, these are the ones that are hating me and attacking me because I'm trying to save the planet. And this is what you're dealing with, these people. It's truly frightening. But we won the case 100%. Now I'm going to uh, I'm going back to court uh, with the Michael Mann case because what Michael Mann did was that he literally rewrote the climate record. And one of the things that Marxists and left-wing people do is they rewrite history. And and uh, so what he did was he produced a, a graph that showed that there was no temperature change for a thousand years and then a sudden warming in the 20th century when I know from all my research and, and work that it was a warmer a thousand years ago than it is today. And I also know that it's been warmer for 9,000 of the last 10,000 years uh, than it is today. So, uh, as I said, um, it... it um, all of the evidence of, of Marxists uh, and, and changing records is, is, is at the center of this as well. 
Because yeah, if you look at the uh, the temperature yeah. models, if you look at the actual... Yeah, well, Curtis, uh, you want to get a question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was just going to mention um, that if you look at the actual temperature models, yeah. if you look at the actual readings, we're climbing out of a mini ice age, and it was actually warmer at the time of Christ than it is today. Curtis, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I vaguely remember that there were two scientists, uh, I believe one was British, who were caught. Um, exchanging either papers or emails that showed that this whole global warming uh, fiasco was just that, a, a fiasco, a farce. I was just wondering, um, did they ever face any professional ramifications over that? No, they didn't, because, of course, what happened was the, the deep state immediately uh, uh, set up five investigations and, and said, oh, no, there's nothing to see here. Move on, just like is going on in, in Washington right now. What you're referring to is, is, is generally, for your listeners, is called Climate Gate after Watergate. Uh, what happened was that um, every year there's a group meet, uh, what are, what's called the Conference of the Parties, at which they decide, the politicians and the people guiding this decide how much money they're going to spend on climate research and what message they're going to put out to the public. They were scheduled in 2009, December in 2009, to meet in Copenhagen to approve the Kyoto Protocol. Now, the Kyoto Protocol was designed to say, look, you developed nations like America have, have caused global warming and caused a threat to the rest of the world, so you've got to pay for your sins. And therefore, we're going to fine you a carbon tax, and we're going to transfer that wealth through the Kyoto Protocol to these developing nations. Um, the the uh, U.S. Senate looked at it because it was then a treaty and they had to conf uh, agree with it. They didn't want to appear not green because this is what they also play on any politicians afraid of being accused of not being green enough. And, and so what they did was they uh, created the Byrd-Hagel resolution, which said, should we vote on the Kyoto Protocol? This is how slippery these politicians are. Should we vote on the Kyoto Protocol? And they voted 95 to nothing not to vote on it. When you look at the arguments in the, uh, that they had in the Byrd-Hagel resolution, they said, look, this is going to destroy our economy and cause us jobs. Well, that was going to be approved at the uh, conference in Copenhagen in 2009, in December. In November of 2009, a thousand emails were leaked from the Climatic Research Unit in East Anglia, and they showed exactly what Curtis was talking about, how these people were cooking the books. They were, they, in fact, they even got one editor fired who published an article that they didn't like. And, um, and so... Um, it, it, it absolutely stopped in its tracks, the Kyoto Protocol at the Copenhagen Conference. Now, of course, they, these people don't give up. Um, you know, as, as Rush Limbaugh says, if you think you can reason with these people, you're crazy. And, and, and so uh, the next year in Durban, they replaced the Kyoto Protocol with the Green Climate Fund, which was the same thing. Every, all of these developed nations, like America, had to put $100 billion into a bank account in South Korea, and all the other nations would get, would get to draw money from that. And, uh, but uh, the Green Climate Fund 
was approved at the Paris Climate Conference, which, uh, uh, which of course, Macron and, and uh, Trump have been arguing about recently. And the Green Climate Fund was simply the replacement for the Kyoto uh, Conference. Now, Trump knew that he couldn't get rid out of Paris on the basis of the science. He'd get beaten up badly. So what he did was, and, and I, I've got to be f- fess up here, I had direct input into uh, how he dealt with this through a group called Cooler Heads in Washington. And we said, look, it's a bad deal. That's your stick. Get out of bad deals. Proof of how effective that was, Ivanka wanted to sign the Paris Climate Agreement, but the minute he showed her how bad a deal was, they pulled out of it. But but what Curtis is talking about, those leaked emails, exposed all of this that was going on. But, of course, you also see how effective these people are at covering up. What what the failure with Nixon with the Watergate was they 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 didn't they weren't able to cover it up, and, and that's the big difference with what's going on now. It's a lot that's going on because they're also going after oh. the EPA uh, chief Scott Pruitt, and they're but, they're using any method to do that. Yeah, well, of course, you see, uh, uh, when when I was asked to uh, go to Washington to to uh, advise um, the. The uh, Trump uh, campaign on what they should do about the climate issue. Um, uh, it was set up by Myron Ebel at the, at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and it was interesting because this occurred. Uh, Myron was appointed before the election, and, and he asked the question I asked. Well, how did Trump know? And the answer he got back was Trump's a developer. Trump knows that if you're not ready to go with the full project on day one. Uh, you're not going to get it done. And so he had all his people in place for the critical decisions that had to be made. Myron Ebel had been studying the climate and the regulations and the use of the EPA to control. This is the bureaucrats controlling the agenda. And so he knew exactly what to, to tell Scott Pruitt once Scott Pruitt got appointed to the job. Scott Pruitt knew about the climate issue because he was from Oklahoma, and he was the attorney general um, uh, flown around the state by Senator James Inhofe, who was, of course, one of the few senators in, in, uh, who fought and pointed out all of the problems with the, the global warming issue. So Pruitt was ready to go on day one, and he immediately started cutting regulations, getting rid of staff, and, and uh, cutting back the EPA. And, of course, he was so effective at it that the deep state said he's got to go. So they started leaking this information about his expenses and wasting money and so on um, in order to, to get rid of him. So, uh, and, and, of course, as, as I've always pointed out to people, you know, one of the things that pilots in the wartime knew, that when the flak is very heavy, you know you're over the target. Well, that's what Scott Pruitt is finding out. Trump will stick with him because he's achieving a great deal. And the beauty of what Trump has been saying about it all is he doesn't want to get rid of the EPA. We do need some controls and regulations. But what Trump is saying, we need clean air and clean water, just like we need the whole idea of environmentalism. But we don't want it being used to dictate and control people's lives. That's what we're getting rid of. Yeah, because when they tell us what type of light bulb to buy and what type of toilet you can purchase, that is just a little bit too much into my personal life. That's not what the federal government was formed for. That's not a constitutional job of the federal government. And I'd like to see a lot of that go out the window. Bring up the free market uh, um, 
uh, just just to, 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 to talk just very yeah very quickly. Uh, of course, the person that made all the money out of that was uh, GE and, and Jeffrey Immelt. He was the guy that convinced them that they should get rid of the light bulb, and then they came in. They had the replacement, and they made all the money off of it. And and so you see, that's the the, the people that uh, Machiavelli was talking about. The deceivers are always willing to support the deceiver. And and so yeah, uh, Elon Musk is another one. Eighty-two percent of his income in the last year came from government subsidies. There's no need for alternate energy. There's no need for electric cars. But some of these people exploited those opportunities. Now, I don't particularly blame them because, of course, in a way, that's the American system. <coughs> but people need to know what's actually going on. And, and of course, now you see um, Musk and, and Tesla is on the verge of bankruptcy. It's, it's funny because they all push these these new cars here that run on hybrids or run on electricity. And I always get a kick out of that because they say they want to be, protect the environment. And I look at them and I says, all right, you want to protect the environment, get us off of, uh, off of needing oil or coal. Okay, how do you put the electricity into your car? Uh, you plug it in, and where's that electricity coming from? A coal fire plant, a nuclear plant, yep. a, a hydroelectric plant? So you're still using something that you know, is using a petrochemical. How is that car built? Every single piece of that car put together is using something that came from a petrochemical. And you really want to save the environment? Put down your smart device, your computers, and all the other stuff. And forget about your wipe wear and makeup. And what about the clothing you're wearing? How much of it is synthetic and is made with petrochemicals? So great, you're not killing the animals, but you're killing the environment by using something made with petrochemicals. The hypocrisy on the left is amazing. It, it totally is amazing, but uh, Goethe, the great German philosopher, once said, the unnatural, that too is natural. So, excuse me. It, it, you, you can see what's going on here. <clears throat> and it goes to the center of um, the environmental movement. There's a very deep-seated anti-humanity in it. And that, of course, is if you're anti-humanity, then you're against God. Think of the contradiction of the left, that they're all believers in Darwin and Darwin's evolutionary theory. And you say, well, okay, let's, let's uh, say that Darwin was right. Well, then under Darwin's uh, uh, rules, uh, humans are the most successful. Get those other animals off my planet. How dare they? But, but you see, that's the contradiction in philosophy that they don't even see themselves. That's the, the way the devil works. And, and so, um, and by the way, that's one thing the Bible handles that nobody talks about, and this was brought to my attention by a student, because I was talking about environmentalism one day, and, and I said, you know, that um, religion hasn't dealt with this, and this student who was a, a student of the Bible said, yes, it does. And when you read what it talks about, and I love that distinction in the Bible between, between domesticated species and wild species, that that is so much to the point uh, about what is going on. But uh, yeah, it, it's um, anti-humanity. Get rid of those people, and 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 we could have a, a decent planet um, uh, the way it should be. Yeah, it's funny because you see a lot of these. <laughs> I keep on. <laughs> go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, go ahead, Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm glad I'm tr- triggering so many questions for you. <laughs> All right. I don't know if you remember the HEART program. 
is supposed to have closed down. Do you think that's true? And that's the program that controls, supposedly can control weather. Sorry, the, the which harp? Oh yes. Okay, the high altitude research project. Uh, there's a very long story behind that, and all of this idea about uh, chemtrails and so on. The irony of the chemtrails is that it was the government responding to their own created hysteria about global warming. So they were up there spraying particles to try and reduce the amount of sunlight and reduce the global warming. And, and and of course, so you know this is the problem when you tell a lie, uh, you either admit you're lying or you you try to solve it with another lie. So the heart program was part of that, but the heart program goes long before that, and um, it goes back to uh, ironically to um, the um, Germans trying to communicate with their submarines during the First World War. See, one of the things that military powers have to be able to do is to communicate uh, with their soldiers in the field. And uh, the Germans developed submarines. Well, of course, once they left Germany, they couldn't communicate with them anymore, particularly and especially when they were underwater. And so they started uh, doing research on um, bouncing radio waves off of the ionosphere and what was the structure of the atmosphere and how could you get uh, radio signals around the world. They discovered that with ultra-low frequency, you, you could simply uh, send a signal anywhere in the world, regardless of where the, even a submarine underwater. But the low frequent, ultra-low frequency was such that it swamped every other electronic signal. So after the Second World War, they banned ultra-low frequency research. And um, the uh, the HARP program, of course, was was part of of what was looking at that. Um, now, uh, the the problem was partly resolved when they got uh, communication satellites up there, and um, the uh, the Soviets stopped uh, experimenting with ultra low frequency, and they they uh, because they had these communication satellites that they could use to communicate with their ships at sea and to their submarines. But then the Americans just developed uh, satellites that could destroy their communication satellites. So they started experimenting with ultra-low frequency again to the point where people in Scandinavia found their TV and radios being absolutely swamped. The, me the media and the, the, the hysteria went out that this was the Soviets trying to change the weather as a weapon of war. It had nothing to do with that at all. But um, this this was all part of, of, of this the, what was going on, and and of course um, now you, you you see that the chemtrail things disappeared. Uh, we're back to uh, uh, you know sort of some sort of calm. But the problem of communication uh, for the military is still very very much a part of it. So there is another whole completely different explanation for what was going on with HARP. Wow. You are such a wealth of knowledge and such a pleasure to have you. I'd love to have you and Gregory Wrightstone on the show at the same time because between the two of you, yeah, yeah. maybe we can slap a little common sense into the world about the global the global climate change hoax. It's, it's, yeah. There is so much right, to talk sorry. about, and it, it, yeah. people just they they listen to mainstream media and what the government tells them and what these officials, these these scientists, these academics without doing any background research. I mean, I'm screaming against these solar uh, farm fields out there. I says, you, you want to stop global warming? Get rid of these solar panels. <laughs> They're feeding yeah. the globe like yeah. crazy. Yeah. 
Well, and of course, you see, the thing is, with uh, any of the alternate energies, um, you, you have to be able to store electricity, and we don't have an efficient way of doing that yet, so they can't possibly work. And what people don't know is that when a wind farm is uh, providing the power, they have to keep the coal-burning plants running at 100% capacity, because if the wind stops blowing, they have to be able to pick up the demand instantly. And Denmark, which was the leader in wind power, finally limited the total amount of wind power that they could put into the system at 12%, because if it went beyond that, the whole system collapsed. But you never hear any of these stories. It's, a, it's all part uh, of the push and the misrepresentation. But I want to give you a little bit of hope, because you know people, people are tired of the doom and gloom. They sense that there's something wrong. Americans are, are more wary of their government than Canadians. In fact, most of Eastern Canada was made up of people that left the United States because they didn't want a Republican system. And, and, um, and so Americans are more uh, uh, mistrusting of government than Canadians. But there's been two poles of significance. What's happening is that the public know there's something wrong, can't put their finger on it, are afraid to say anything because, as Mark Twain said, people will think you a fool if you sit there with your mouth shut. Don't open it and prove them right. And and so what they're doing <laughs> is they're sitting quietly. A United Nations poll of 10 million people listed 16 concerns of the of those people. Global warming and climate change was 16th on the list. It's not an issue for the public anymore. And then the Pew Center, which is the, one of the largest polling centers in the U.S., left of center, by the way, they asked Americans what their social and, and economic concerns were. They listed 33 of them. Global warming was 32nd. And that's been the case for the last five years. So you see the public are starting to realize there's something wrong. But uh, they don't speak out because they're afraid of getting attacked or looking stupid. And, and, um, and, but eventually, um, the, they'll get enough information to, uh, to be able to say no. And, and this is why people that dare to stick their heads up have got to keep keeping their heads above the parapet. And I, mean, I knew that when I stuck my head up in the coconut shy, I knew I was going to get thrown at. But you have to be prepared for that if you're going to uh, fight for and defend the truth. Well, your book is fantastic. It's an easy read. It's not a long, large book. You don't use a lot of big words that people can't understand. It's very simple. The average person can pick it up and completely understand the point you're making. It's called Human Caused Global Warming, the Biggest Deception in History. They can get it at your website, which is your name, drtimball.com. I thank you for your hard work. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on here, and we've got to have you back more often. You're just too much well, fun I to talk with. Well, thank you very much. My wife, by the way, who knows the truth, says that I've got a whole wealth of useless information, but that's, that's, that's uh, her privilege. But, but uh, no, I'm very happy to talk to anybody at any time and answer any questions I possibly can, unlike Al Gore, who won't debate with, or with anybody. And, and so, yes, I'm very, very happy, and thank you so much for the opportunity. Enjoy. Oh, it has been our pleasure, Dr. Ball. It has been our pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right. Check him out, uh, Dr. Tim Ball, at his website, Dr. 
dr drtimboyle.com there's a link up on the show page so if you're listening in or watching uh click in on the link it'll take you directly to his website and get his book and pass it around give it to your favorite liberal <laughs> and turn them around I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna buy it. oh yes it is you can get it also up on kindle uh, so check it out. We got our next guest up in the bullpen, and he's going to be in for a lot of fun. Uh, I want to welcome him along, uh, if I can talk straight, <laughs> welcome aboard, Mark Sutherland. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you doing? Good afternoon, and I'm very well from a uh, from London. It's uh, around about uh, eight o'clock p.m. our time, so it's great to talk to you, Mother. Oh, it has, it's it's our pleasure. You know, uh, I turned around, found you because you have a little short uh, movie out there called Between the Lamb and the Lion, and you there in London are so pro-American. Thank you for being a patriot for us. Uh, we need more patriots like you around the world. Uh, tell us about this movie. And that's very very kind of you. I mean, both of us have been in a huge fight. We've been we. Uh, been in the Brexit fight, and uh, you've had the fight of, uh, of making sure that uh, Donald J. Trump uh, won the election. Um, and I've, I'm very complimented by what by what you've said. I mean, the the biggest issue is that people will not educate themselves about what's going on. So I made Between Lambs and Lions that depicts a time when the Republic's constitution has been suspended and there is uh, complete overreach by the executive branch and the Star Spangled Banner is banned from uh, being uh, being sung. In fact, it takes the, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament and sets it among the political machinations of Washington politics. And I have to say uh, what a privilege it is to follow your first guest in regard to uh, Dr. Bell, because there are links. There are links in regard to, um, you know, the abuse of power, etc. So I made, I made my film to try and um, contribute to helping to wake people up to what was going on on your side of the pond. So I remember a number of years, a few years ago, not that long ago, I had read Pamela Geller's book, The Post-American President, um, which would not go down uh, particularly uh, well over here um, because it's information, as Dr. Bell was talking about. People do not want to know the truth. They do not want to look at the other side. So when your previous president comes, you know, he makes statements of the climate science, that's it, the debate is finished, it's proven, or he, he threatened us with, you know, if you leave the EU, you're going to go to the back of the queue. So there is no doubt about it that if we are in this wonderful position to privilege to make films, and there is a project I would love to talk about if we get time now, um, to make films it really is a way of trying to educate people. And with Between Lambs and Lions, it would be uh, lovely to make the longer version and that's another story so and that's why that's why i made it i also made my own contribution in regard to the whole uh brexit debate um i was actually in the studio when nigel farage did, debated with our previous prime minister david cameron the as you know and as someone else says we're in an information war and the Bible is very clear in, uh, I think, Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. The problem is, as you and I find as um, all the time, is that people very often, I think, are, are, lay, are too lazy 
to go and find out that information. And I very often say to people, I don't ask you to uh, I don't ask you to agree with me, but I do ask you, please go and do the research. Let's come back and let's have a conversation. So I hope that's a good open opener for a starter. And. <laughs> that it is. But my question to you is because we had a friend of ours uh, of the show uh, who lived in who lives in England, not too far from you. He ended up being sent to jail because he criticized Islam, and he's still fighting to have that sentence overturned. He actually was sent and did time. Uh, so, are you afraid with you putting these films out that the lack of free speech that now is prevalent in? the United Kingdom would come after you? I'll tell you what, I'm rather taken aback to hear what you've just said. In some ways, it doesn't surprise me. I'm not aware of that case, and off air, it'd be lovely to, I would be honoured to discuss that. Um, There is no doubt about it that free speech is massively under attack in this country. We could say that when George Orwell what, uh, wrote 1984, and as a dear friend of mine said, you know, it's not supposed to be a manual. Um, this, it's what's going on. We've, we've seen, so for argument's sake, let's just reel a few things off. So Pamela Geller is banned from coming in this country. Robert Spencer is banned from coming in this country. Uh, Michael Savage, the uh, radio presenter, is banned from coming in this country. A few weeks ago, Lauren Southern... Uh, Bridget Pettibone and Matthew Souter, Bridget Pettibone's uh, fiance, were banned from coming into this country because they would want to address and to talk about um, the political ideology of Islam. So we have, we are pushing towards this, that we have liberalism everywhere, we have a crushing and a control in regard to free speech. People are trying to put through hate speech laws. Now there's a committee set up within uh, Parliament that wants to discuss uh, and come up with a, 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 uh, a definition of uh, Islamophobia. The bottom line is, Anne, and I think I crossed that Rubicon a little while ago, we, we are entitled to express an opinion um within you know i mean within the rounds that i would even say particularly of good manners and and coming up with facts the problem is is that uh, those facts um people do not wish to discuss they do not wish to turn around and say for example that the reason why the vatican uh, may have a wall around it is because it was to defend itself from uh, islamic marauding armies if we look at the gates of vienna the gates of Tours, the previous the previous battle that held that held back um, and defeated is, is Islamic uh, armies in regard to wanting to conquer the West. Um, Douglas Murray wrote a fantastic book called uh, "The Suicide of Europe." It seems that uh, we do not seem. If you take the European Union, the European Union is an atheistic, humanistic. So it's a principality. It's a principality. The Bible is very clear in Ephesians 6 where it talks about the fact that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against principalities and powers. And we are at war. And if we're not putting our armor on as Christians, you know, we need to do that. And we are at war. And I'll give another illustration in a little while in regard to another film project and what's going on there. But we are at war. And a lot of Christians need to realize that and get on get on the battlefield 
and engage. This this battle will only be won in in the heavenlies through prayer, through interceding. Um, sorry, I'm I, in many ways trying to cover a lot of things and going round the houses, uh, maybe. <laughs> but you could you could turn around. No, I mean we have to we have to speak out. We have to say this. There are issues of it seems like we're back in the 19, 1930s. I mean, Churchill warned warned the government for eight ten years during the thirties that you had that they had to rearm to uh, militarily in regard to looking at the threat from from Hitler. And I recently uh, was in Dallas at a conference uh, with a lot of other like-minded Christians and. I was watching The Darkest Hour starring Gary Oldman on the plane over, over going over. I, I was in tears, actually, Anne, when I watched that. And I just thought, well, where are we as a nation? Because we seem to be having the spirit of appeasement. And, and uh, there are, there's a fantastic, two fantastic people who I don't think are, uh, are sadly not with us now. And it's something that I would say to the say to the American people, if if I may be so bold, you know, you've got your midterms coming up. We need to be praying about that. There's a wonderful teaching uh, by Derek Prince where it talks about the Derek is talking about the spiritual warfare. Derek is no longer with us um, and used to uh, live in the states and be ministering in the states. You've got wonderful teaching by Win Worley and and uh, Frank Hammond on this issue of talking about spiritual warfare um so that's where you know that's where we're at i'll give you another illustration on the eve of uh, the uh european um the european referendum as we're going into the vote uh that night in hastings so we're talking about battle uh, 1066 the invasion from france um that it was the most lightning strikes that had ever been recorded um by i think the weather whether people in that particular area. So in other words, the, the spiritual battle had manifested um, in the heavenlies into, into uh, our, our world. We were seeing that in the natural world. And I remember praying that London would have a heck of a lot of rain, and it did, because London's full of a lot of Remainers, and it might stop some of them going out to vote. Um, so yeah, we are um, we are not in a uh, we're not in a uh, we're not in a good good state at the moment. I will say, Anne, but but we've just got to pray and battle battle through this. And I think very sadly is that a number of people are ignorant to what is actually going on. So I don't know if that begins to answer that question, Anne. Well, you know, you said when we're in a spiritual battle, and I've mentioned this many times on our show here, that my own mm. church that I belong to is is fighting for its very life because we were part right. of the Episcopal Church here in North America, and we split right. off because of the liberalism that was climbing into our, our faith. And we said, no, yep. this is not what the Bible said. We believe yep. that yep. marriage is one man, one woman, and yep. Yep. this is where we stand. So now it's the yeah. Anglican Church of North America is battling the Episcopal Church. You know, we're the same faith, but we're not practicing the same faith. We, we come from the same core start, but we've branched to two different things, the conservative side and the liberal side. So it's, it's worldwide. And if we look at what's going oh, it's, on it's in Christianity, massive, look at the, the polls. Absolutely. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it, it's totally and utterly worldwide. And I would say that after uh, Donald J. Trump becoming uh, President Trump, uh, some people seem to have a problem with actually even saying that. And we actually voting to leave the EU. It was like um, the spiritual battle absolutely manifested big time on Earth. And it was as though uh, here, um, it was as though there was like a corporate exorcism. And I believe that. That seems to be going on around the world. I mean, I would say that most probably like you and and what your church is going through is that over the fact that I voted to leave the EU with gusto and was trying to educate people on that, I've lost friends over that in regard to saying when people have said to me, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, we're working hard to have a gracious discussion. But I, I remember saying to a few people, well, who do you want? Who They said to me, who do you think should win the election? And I said, uh, Donald Trump. And that, I couldn't believe it. You know, they, they couldn't believe it. They'd swallowed all everything that the BBC had rammed down their throats about that. So the other thing and the way to look at it, the other thing to look at it is that everything that is in the dark is going to be brought into the light. And that is what is going on. The, in many ways, we should be, as much as it's difficult sometimes, um, we should be thankful that the battle lines have been drawn. We know what we're dealing with. You and I... And all our listeners, all your listeners, rather, saying presumptuous, all your <laughs> listeners are, we're not responsible. We're not responsible for writing scripture. We're not responsible for the truth of that. God is responsible for the truth of that. And that is what our faith, that's it. So if people are starting to question that and walk away from that, then, uh, then we have to question them. In other words, we do not become like the culture. We're supposed to be countercultural. And I think very often on your side of the pond and here, and we end up getting it, you know, like people like Rick Warren writing the purpose driven drivel, as I call it, and all this kind of thing. And all these mega, mega churches, um, you know, prosperity gospel and all this. I say it with great respect, but no, it's not the gospel. But what happens is that we have sold a bit of a lie that says, you know, come to Jesus and everything will be wonderful and then you'll just get this wonderful car and be blessed with this massive bank account. No. Jesus said, you will have troubles in this world, but I will be with you. And it's something that I am talking to myself. You know, it's like I have the privilege at times to make films, be involved in, in uh, this industry, and if I'm able to, we want to use that vehicle to preach the gospel. That is our priority. And, of course, it isn't going to go down very well with with, <laughs> with the enemy at all, then. No, it's, it's, what, what it's you, not. Go ahead, Curtis. What do you do when you're battling with your own government? Say, for instance, we recently had this, this, this incident over in England concerning baby Isaiah, who had brain damage because of a lack of oxygen when he was born, and the parents yeah. wanted to get him some outside help. And the government yeah. said, no, they wouldn't even allow. There were agencies and countries that, that had, you know, doctors ready uh, to take this boy and, and, and into, you know, their hands. And ab- the government said, what, what absolutely. can an individual do? I mean, in regard to Alfie Evans, there is a Alfie Evans case. There is an element. There are certain elements of complexity. Um, 
also our systems our health our health systems are profoundly different um we have <laughs> i suppose in some ways you could say um you sort of have obamacare on steroids in many ways where in 19 uh, i think 1948 when the national health service came about which is a government body we have what you call socialized medicine we also do have a private uh, healthcare system if you can avoid it but we do have a a, a socialized uh, medicine i'm not defending i mean i'm as up as upset about the decision as anyone i'm not defending that on the one hand but the problem is and and you know this because you end up talk, call, talking about death panels and all this kind of thing what is so tragic about it is that and it's understandable how how would i react as if i was his father I mean, I've, I know what it's actually like to have one of my children in my arms and then stop breathing. And it was the most horrific, horrific day of my life. But praise God, he's 21 and, and fine. But what would I do in that, what would I do in that situation? And, and as you quite rightly point out, when the Italian government have turned around and gone, right, uh, we're prepared to uh, fly you out here and do this and... Um, and offer the aid to comfort you and all the rest. There is no doubt about it that there was a brain de degenerative disease, but I don't know whether that was able to be cured or whatever. Or whatever. But you, within your system, you're right, as in uh, particular judges making decisions when someone say, well, we, we could fly out and all the rest. What is also concerning is that a group uh, that has been involved in this case called uh, Christians Concerned for the Nation have they, you know, I remember hearing about one particular paper reviewer on uh, on Sky calling these people they're like terrorists and all this kind of thing. Um, yeah, we we are. There is a push. There is a push constantly, and Dr. Bell has been talking about chemtrails we have those people over here don't believe us in other words what we're saying is there's like an asymmetric attack on everything but it's an asymmetric attack on the judeo-christian christian culture um the other thing is is that in regard to the nhs they would turn around and say we only have certain resources and we have to use those resources well but i'll just tell you the most one of the most important things within the NHS and within what's going on in our culture. The roots of the, uh, uh, the NHS, then, you could go back to uh, Florence Nightingale setting up um, uh, military hospitalization during the Crimean War, and the woman was a committed Christian, and I'm sure that she also prayed, prayed for those soldiers. We've had a nurse um, virtually, I think, lose her job or arrested or taken to court because she wanted to pray, pray for someone or even talk about her Christian faith, and then if someone else who is then following in Islam is then may, makes a complaint about that. Those kind of cases have gone on. And then we find ourselves that we can't even pray for patients for their healing. I mean, if that, if that kind of thing went on, if we offered it, we would save a heck of a lot of money. You know, it, it, the, the attack on faith is something that you have coming out in a new movie you're trying to make called The Orbiter. Uh, yep. Tell us about that, because you have it set in the future and with World War Three breaking out, which, you know, that is a possibility within the next couple of months if we're not careful. Well, I'll just give you a little bit of background. This is an incredible product, project that uh, two friends of mine in the States um, head up, which is uh, David Rossler, who's been in the industry for well over 30 years. 
and then my dear friend uh, Kathy, who's a co-producer over there, associate producer over there, helping to get this off the ground. These these two are are true patriots, Christians, and David has come up with uh, Orbiter the movie. The key thing to say, and there is a link between what Dr. Bell is talking about, there's a link between what I've been talking about with Between Lambs and Lions and what I'm talking about happening over here. This particular project has been, you know, they've both been attacked on uh, Facebook where posts have been taken down. They've both been shadow banned on uh, Twitter. Um, some of the stuff that's gone on is just unbelievable. Um, and there's certain things I won't say. And also um, that suddenly when you're trying to raise money via crowdfunding and there is, uh, if people went to um, www.orbitermovie.com, there is a homepage there and there is a donation button. And we are looking at trying to, you know, raise money to get this project off the ground. I mean, one of the beauties is is that David is a total and utter um, special effects genius. Um, and this, there's already a cinema chain lined up to get this out there. But making movies um, is not is not ch- is not cheap, and uh, we are trying to re- you know raise uh, uh, considerable. Well, I'd say about you know, $450,000, $500,000 to actually make this, which is, in the grand scheme of things, of course, half a million dollars to anyone on your side of the pond or even over here translated into pounds is a lot of money. But in regard to a movie and what the return could bring in is is nothing. Um, but it isn't about just making that one movie. What it's about is basically building up a fighting fund so that we can then go and create some other films that get the Christian method uh, message out there. Orbiter is a 3D movie, which is extremely unique in that sense. And so, yes, you're right. World War Three has broken out and, and people are up in a uh, space space station um, above above the Earth, observing, observing what what's going on and then and then goes from there. So. And there's a two side to this. It's not necessarily just about uh, making the movie. It's trying to make that movie, get the money in, to then go on to make other stuff of exceptional quality to be able to use that vehicle to speak to people. And I don't have to tell you of the stuff that comes out of Hollywood and how certain things are controlled and the programming and all the rest. So if people could, you know, I'd say this, if people now... Go and find this site, and if Anne, at some point, if you could either put that up on your Facebook page, etc., that would be fantastic. And I have the privilege to know them, and we can get this to a point. Then the plan is, is that I will then come over with my uh, skills and contribution to help get this made, to get it out there. Now, I'm not going to go into certain details. But I'll tell you what, these two people are patriots and there is a heavy price that they have paid in regard to standing up for what's for what's right, in regard to being on the right side of history, in regard to the presidential election that's just happened. Um, and I really ask that people will support this project and get behind them and support them. 
And more importantly, if I, as well, combined with that, if I could ask people to pray about this, because we need warriors on their behalf, intercessors on their behalf, fighting on their behalf, because this is a major battle. It's the biggest, you know, we're all involved over here on your side of the pond. We're involved in the biggest spiritual battle of uh, of our lifetime. There is no other way to say it. Now, film is a fantastic, a brilliant way to get the message out there. And the other thing is, is as you again are coming up to uh, your midterms um, at the end of this year, and I have a dear friend of mine who's running for Congress, um, seeking the nomination in her district in Oregon. There are a number of Christians that are doing the same. Uh, but 2012 is not far, 2020 rather, is not far away in regard to uh, Donald J. Trump then seeking election again. And we need more people on on the uh, battlefield engaging in prayer over that. And also we need we need finance. And with what's happening, as it's happened to uh, David and it's happened to Kathy, with what has happened to them in regard to the social media, um, Twitter, Facebook, etc., the key thing to this, if, if we are finding that the enemy is coming against us in regard to that, and there is no doubt about it, that what uh, President Trump uses in regard to Twitter to get past the mainstream media, we need to use film and build up a fighting fund via film, via the receipts that are gained at the cinema, so that we are then in a good position for 2020 as well. And it's not about, it's not, we have to widen this. This is the key thing is about telling people about Jesus and getting people in the Jesus lifeboat. That is our number one priority. And film is a way of actually doing that in an incredible way. I mean, dare I draw, draw the parallel in one sense. If you then take uh, Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, and I, I never forget being in a meeting, hearing the story about that, where he went in and said, I want to make a film about um, the, 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 the passion and the last days of Jesus' uh, his, uh, life on earth before uh, being nailed onto the cross. And uh, the film distributors just laughed at him. And he said, I want to make it, make it an Aramaic. And the rest is history. And the thing is, you have... Over there, cinemas and all the rest, you already have quite a big Christian audience. And I just asked, asked them to actually really support this project, support other filmmakers like myself. There are a number of things that we would love to make um, to help raise uh, revenue, to get more and more uh, productions made. And, and it, you know, you start to get that studio system running and it, and things have to be combated in regard to some of the stuff that comes out of, of Hollywood. And we can see the programming. And I'm saying that as a, as a filmmaker who's here in the UK. That doesn't exactly make me very popular. No, it doesn't. But the funny thing is, is that the movies that are succeeding at the box office happen to be faith-based and patriotic movies. The movies that Hollywood thinks we want to watch are bombing like crazy. Yes, yeah, And yeah, I yeah. think... 
people have finally found a way to work outside of Hollywood, people such as yourself, and produce these high-quality films. And I was trying to put up onto the show description the Orbit of Movie, but it's not letting me do that, so I'll try to play around with that a little bit later on. Because, you know, most people listen, listen to the podcast, so that way they can click on it and make a donation to get this film produced. But the attack on faith and the attack on patriotism and nationalism it's it's as if all those words are dirty words you know i love my country so being a nationalist someone who loves my country and wants to see protected makes me an evil person well in your mind so be it but i know i'm not but the attack on faith uh by academics and by the science community which we were talking with dr bell Mm. has become so Mm. perverse that we've gotten to this point where uh, your buddy JP and I was uh, and I were going back and forth on Facebook yeah. over this article, um, where they now have been able to create an embryo, not a human embryo, but they just did an embryo, um, without using an, an egg or sperm. They used it by duplicating stem cells. Now this is man taking science to where God belongs. It's such a slippery slope that we have here. Uh, But in order to do that, they have to to destroy faith. Science and and faith can Mm. exist hand in hand. Mm. Well, there's a, I mean, uh, those verses, I think, whether it's Matthew 26 or Matthew 24, maybe, where, you know, they say to Jesus, you know, when will we know the day of your return? And, And he says, as in the days of Noah. Now, there are strong strong links here we are at a time when we are seeing the science as you said move out of 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 the framework that god has that god has ordered and then suddenly as you've just said if you you create this embryo without with um beyond the frameworks that god has actually uh, has actually set this is extremely this is extremely frightening we know who wins in the end and in the end, Jesus wins. Um, we may not have time to go through certain aspects of the book of Daniel or Revelations, but but we but we are there. We are to, in my own mind. We are seeing seeing the signs. You know, you uh, Dr. Bell was discuss, discussing uh, harp. We're discussing uh, technology. You know, you and I are doing a radio interview via Skype a number of years ago. A few years ago, we would never have uh, dreamed of that in a million years. Um, they're building, you know, we've we've got all the uh, all our mobile phones. They can track us. They can tell when, uh, in regard to our credit cards, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, where we are, what what we're doing. They're building this whole um, elect electronic web grid system. The Matrix film is is real. You know, with you and I have decided to take. The red, the red pill in Christ, and follow what Scripture is saying, and we have decided to wake up to what is going on. We have chosen not to be Christians that have taken a bucket of sand, stuck our head in it, and go. I want to ignore what it, what is going on. Um, so, this this is how uh, this is how I look at it, Anne. You're absolutely right. There, to me, their technology is is far more ahead than actually that they would uh, they would acknowledge personally there are some things going on that are extremely extremely uh, extremely frightening 
you know they really are um so yeah well if we if we take out faith we take out our belief in god uh, out of society then science yeah. and academics win and anything anything possible is permissible moral absolutely. values go out the window absolutely. which is what we're seeing absolutely. occur now absolutely it's okay and it's for one of the me things. but not for thee uh, ab- absolutely. Sorry, Anne. And I, and I absolutely I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, you know, if we look at if we look at the uh, the whole what we call millennials, you know, and, and there is no doubt about it. I think there is a number of millennials that are really waking up to what's going on. I mean, you you since the 70s, you have not taught, I think, c- civics properly in your schools. I mean, you banned prayer. Um, you haven't taught civics uh, disc- uh, to explain the constitutional republic. So that's why, in the end, we, and I come back to it, we have to use film to try and uh, educate uh, millennials to say, to uh, bring, them, bring them back, to point out, you know, the, the, st- the story, to point out what the Bible says, what Christ says. And that, again, with Orbiter, that is something. Uh, we want to really trying to do because we've got to get to that age group because that age group have found that within schools etc all of those roots the bio the bio the bio i mean i i came from a, a non-christian background um and then came to faith um so that is what is so key to this um is using all the all the tools that we've got, but you're absolutely right. It is a is uh, an attack on all levels, and I think as well. And I mean, it's uh, you know, dare I dare I say it? Yes, I do. A, a dear friend of mine said, you know, that say for England over here, there's been an obsession. It goes, you know, father, son, and local church. And what I'm saying is, is that people are not looking outside their little empires. To the bigger, to the bigger issue, you know. Um, so that that's uh, that's the fight that we are that we are engaged with, and that's the fight, like with the Orbiter, the movie that talks about that, um, and you know, very much like a Tom Clancy movie. We've got to use these things to educate the millennials, etc. So. Um, and you know we're we're just seeing all of this all of this break out, but we are called to stand. We're called to put our full armor on and occupy and until Jesus returns. We are, and it's a bit like a warning to you guys. You know the key thing about the the president of the United States is that that role has always been seen as leader of the Western world. And previous eight years, to me, have not actually shown that. If you are then going to send pallets of cash to hand over to the Iranian regime and uh, walk away from red lines and basically give them uh, the ways, the wherewithals to build nuclear nuclear warheads, um, etc. And again, Orbiter talks about that in regards to Third World War threat. Um, this is not this is not good. And Anne, you should not apologise for being a patriot and wanting to defend your country. Any country that is not in a position to write its own laws, control its own borders, be in charge of its own culture and its language, we could argue is not a country anymore. 
And in regard to the EU, which was founded as an idea in 1923 by Arthur Sauter and Jean Monnet, the whole idea was to take the democracy of each individual country away treaty by treaty. And when we went into the EU in in 1973, many people were awake to this, but the whole planning of taking us in happened in 1958. And what's gone on in your recent presidential election and what has gone on over here in regard to Brexit, and without sounding like, you know, just repeating myself, is that all of this has been brought into the light. You have realised over there that your mainstream media is lying to you every single day. We realise... I was watching some of the uh, mainstream media over here and the manipulation. And one thing I will say, there is no, to me, there is no doubt about it, that the mainstream media on your side of the pond was certainly communicating to the mainstream media on this side of the pond in regard to, uh, in regard to um, actually uh, combining, combining, in, in, in a way of actually uh, disencouraging people over the whole president election to actually come against President, you know, Donald Trump as he was then and to uh, come up, you know, we only have to look at the, the file that was created and, and by this supposed, uh, British, you know, this ex-British spy and all this and going to, you know, Obama going to Pfizer, Pfizer courts. But this, is, but this is what is going on now where... Christian patriots all over the place on your side of the pond are are being are being censored and and that is then that is then playing out and you as you quite rightly say as as Christians we are coming under such attack um and sorry to go back to it but it's like in my friends with uh, David and Kathy you know they're being black blacklisted on Twitter and all this kind of thing this is wrong and that's why definitely they need support we need your support. But this is wrong. You know, you have a constitution that says you have a right to free speech and your Second Amendment says, you know, you have a right to bear arms against a tyrannical government to actually defend that. Our system is very different. One, we don't have a Second Amendment. But two, there seems such a love of, uh, of, of big government, I'm afraid. Well, it's unfortunate because what we see going on in Europe, especially in Germany now, Angela Merkel uh, just lost a major election. Uh, she's going to lose a lot of members in her government uh, because there is a backlash. We see the invasion of Islam coming through Europe. We see it now mm. attempting through here in the United States. We have a large invasion in South America and in the Caribbean, and it's been going on for decades. But uh, people are starting to wake up to it. And these are not refugees. These are actually invaders. There's no such thing as an economic refugee. That's BS. But that's the excuse they're using. And now if anyone tries to criticize anything about Islam, or dare you speak up against it and say it's not a pure religion, it happens to be a government, as well as an economic and a religious system tied into one, we don't have that in Christianity. But, you know, if you dare say something like this, Oh, you're an Islamophobe. You're a bigot. You're you're, mm. you're, a, you're a Nazi. Excuse me. It happened to have been the Muslims who partnered with uh, the Nazis and Hitler. We didn't. Mm. Um, mm. It, 
if you dare speak out, they'll use anything and everything, whether it's legal or illegal, to systematically tramp you down and shut you up. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, a couple of years ago uh, when I first had the privilege to do a broadcast on your side of the pond, uh, a friend of mine who used to run a, a radio station um, and actually now uh, um, is regularly on a station uh, in Israel. To, um, he was asking me about that. And I remember being slightly taken aback and actually turning around and saying, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to have to sidestep this issue because we are having free speech so attacked and people feeling so afraid to say things, and to some extent, I was then myself, I've been there, um, that actually I've then had to man up to say, well, hold on a minute, we cannot argue with facts. The bottom line is, if people are following Islam, we want all those people to become Christians. You know, we, we believe that Jesus said, I am, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That's it. That's what the Bible says. That's what we believe in. We believe in that personal, personal relationship with our Father God. Um, and these things have to be discussed, and because that's why history, history is suppressed. That's why, you know, history is uh, is rewritten by is written by uh, the victors, Mr. President. You know, um, we have to look at history. We have to see what has happened in the past because the way it affects the present and the way it affects the future. I mean, I, I uh, on on uh, to, on social media, um, these stories are, are getting out of what's happening in regard to Europe. I hope at some point to actually go around Europe myself and see certain other things for myself, but people like David Douglas Murray have done a, a fantastic job of actually doing that. We can't deny the truth, but within, I would say, massive sections of the church over here, there is complete denial of that. Um, and that may mean that people think, you know, we've been living in peace, it's all, we're all having a really, really wonderful time, you know, earning good money and all the rest. They can't see the bigger picture. They can't see what is coming down the line. Um, and people are speaking out. There is an intelligentsia here that is beginning to uh, push back, I think. And it's going to get louder and louder. People cannot disagree with facts, Anne. It's how we put, how we put that over. And when we've seen our Christian brothers and sisters in certain parts of uh, Iraq and certain parts of other of uh, of the uh, like I'm thinking of the Azidis etc when we've seen these people attacked beheaded etc um, they are our fellow brothers and sisters when we see the fact that Christian persecution in the world is absolutely rife um, compared to any other faith these are the facts. These are the facts, and it cannot be denied. I mean, we've had some uh, terrible things in regard to uh, the abuse of young young people, um, and it comes down to Muslim men in, in Rotherham, in Telford, and this is most probably happening in cities up and down the country in the UK. But people want to turn a blind eye and not talk about it. They are the facts. We have 
to talk about it. Yeah, it's it's funny because we have, I believe it was a report yesterday in Norway. If I'm wrong, someone in the chat room let me know. But I believe they said that the women there had an 85% chance of being raped. These are native Norwegians and being attacked by these Muslim immigrants. And it's, mm. it's right. Where you have in Germany, they have to put security in synagogues, in schools, and other mm. areas mm. where native Germans are. Because even just a regular German is being attacked. It's no longer against a Jew. It's now blatantly mm. against a native-born German citizen. So they have to protect themselves. But they opened the door for this. I believe they said something like 90% of the immigrants are on some sort of government uh, handout. And these well, absolutely, vast majority absolutely. of them are, are yeah. men, young men that are that are able to work, but just will not work, will not assimilate. And finally, well, the, the, these well, stories the thing, are getting out. Absolutely. Sorry, Anne. I mean, the, 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 the thing is, if you look at... If you look at what's uh, what happened in Libya, you know, Gaddafi warned and said, if you get rid of me, you would have mass migration over the Mediterranean from North Africa. You know, and we had that dreadful, dreadful uh, sentence from uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton going, you know, we came, we saw he died. Ha ha ha. You know, after bombing the crap out of Libya, which is a country uh, we uh, participated in that. Um then you have a situation and people won't face that over here where, you know, NGOs are uh, are mixing with um, people smugglers and uh, are meeting these boats and taking uh, people across to various Greek, Greek islands or islands off Italy, etc. Um, this this is uh, this is. Um, this is, uh, you know, the kind of thing that that is, is going on and, pe- and people People cannot cannot believe it in in many ways, but he 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 said that, and then we we have to trace what has gone on deliberately to absolutely create this chaos and get to the bottom of that. And I think that is that is the difficulty. And people will not will not face it. They will not face it, um, and they're gonna have they're gonna have to face it. I'm just extremely glad. For a variety of different reasons, and then well, the main one is that we have uh, voted to leave the EU and to uh, have the sovereignty of our nation back. Because in 1973, uh, we we lost that. Europe, Europe in many ways may end up imploding. Europe may end up leaving us before uh, before we actually leave it, um, and that's actually beginning to that's actually beginning to play out now. Hey, Mark. That it is. Go ahead, Curtis. How are these um, enclaves over there in England, especially London, where it's like all Muslims and even the police are afraid to go in there? How is that impacting um, the citizenry of um, England? It's rather it's rather interesting because Razim Kassam wrote a book in regard to uh, no-go areas and stuff like that. It's a book I have to read. I would turn around on the one hand and say that as far as I'm concerned, I'm not sure whether, and and it may seem a bit surprising for me to say this to you, I'm not sure where those no-go areas are, right? But there is something definitely going on, and I need to uh, read his uh, 
read his book. There is also, there are Sharia, uh, Sharia courts here in regard to uh, matrimony law and all this kind of thing. They are there. Uh, Lord Pearson tried to uh, raise that issue on Monday in the House of Lords to say that what happens in regard to the faith when there is an X amount of a population that turn around and say, right, well, we are committed to Islam and Islamism, and now we're turning around and going, right, it says within our faith that we want Sharia law and we want these Sharia courts. Um, It has been said on a number of times that British law will not be superseded. Um, And that's something that we have to really pray about and to uh, work through and resist because we have a Judeo-Christian culture. And it seems that certain people, as we've said, just want to completely and utterly undermine that. And that is what we have to fight back with. Oh, it's a huge, huge fight because uh, once the floodgates opened, I don't know if you never shut them back. Hungary is fighting it. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of other areas that people are starting to wake up. There was a huge movement mm-hmm. now in France. And question is, is now you've got Brexit. Should be You should be fully withdrawn. I believe it's March 29th of next year. Um, but as I understand, I don't understand your politics all that well, but I understand that Northern Ireland may cause a problem with your exiting from Brexit? Um, well, Southern, yeah, I mean, with the border of, uh, in regard to uh, Southern Ireland, what it is is the border, is the actual border between Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland. And at the moment, there is a, a very, very um, easy, easy, you know, an easy movement across across that uh, broader as as uh, Northern Ireland is part of the UK and um, I mean remember that one of the things that the EU does is that when a country has refused to has to re- refuse to vote to either join the EU or join the EU yeah, the the euro it then asks that particular country to uh, vote again and again and again we voted 17 million 742,000 or 410,742 with a majority of of over a million 52% of this country voted to leave the EU we ha- we are a democracy um, you are a constitutional republic a profoundly different animal that people over here do not do not uh, cannot get their heads around the number one thing is that you believe in rights that have been handed to you by God and over here first past the post the the most person that gets the most votes uh, wins etc we voted to leave what we then didn't realize and what's happened is that three quarters three quarters of the uh the MPs in the in the Westminster par- Parliament um we then discovered that they are remainers and including Mrs Mrs May and Mrs May became the Prime Minister it's about last person standing. They are not our Conservative Party is not conservative in the way that you understand. I would even turn around to you and say that the Conservative Party behaves like some socialist left-wing party like the Labour Party and our opposition and who we have in the wings um, in regard to the Labour Party, they are basically a bunch of communists 
and that is what is go that is what is going on and that's why this battle is huge the eu is a undemocratic you you did not we did not vote for the leaders the 26 commissioners that run the eu they're they're unelectable they are just put in the eu has never been properly audited in other words they haven't gone through the books to check where the money is spent and and add it and add it all up is a bit like when Donald Rumsfeld said, you know, there was a 2.1 trillion hole in the Pentagon budget in uh, 2001, and then look what happened the next day. That's another subject for another day. But so you have this huge uh, institution that has not been audited properly at all the whole idea is big government it doesn't believe in small small government it doesn't believe in uh, encouraging entrepreneurialism or anything like that and it is not doesn't respect the judeo-christian heritage of of europe and and it is atheistic and uh, and humanistic and that is what's going on so our politics on the day after guys i then realized or just before that with all the constant bashing saying you must remain in the EU and all this kind of thing, you know, you had every single parliamentary party going, we must remain in the EU. And if we leave the EU, then the whole world is going to fall apart and all this kind of thing. And I sat there and I reflected on this and I thought to myself, well, hold on a minute. If all these all these parliamentary parties are saying this, then it sounds as though I'm living in a communist state because they are all in <laughs> agreement and this this is the shocker and i suppose what it is and is that you've had 43 years of being ruled by europe you join in 1973 by 1992 what had come down the line was all this um what's the term all this uh, paperwork of control and we do have a heritage of of entrepreneurialism and uh, and suddenly all these control and we've had 43 years of civil servants and particularly uh, with what's happening within our foreign office being dictated the laws coming down being dictated by the eu you through president trump winning the election the deep state have been revealed for us in regard to voting to get out of out of the eu our own deep state has been revealed that actually that the the parliamentarians the problem is it's become so london centric everything has become so london centric in regard to politically in regard to uh, the media etc a vast majority of other you know a lot of other people outside london voted to leave the eu there were big sections of Scot scottish people that voted to remain uh, and also within uh, within uh, london so it doesn't, you know, their comments do not reflect necessarily what the rest of the country is actually feeling. The fight is on and we are going next March. We are going. Article 50 went in a year ago. That uh, legi that uh, legislation to actually get you out, which is rather ironic, was actually built into the Lisbon Agreement in 2010. And that uh, the Lisbon Agreement, which we signed, then dictated political union. That is what it actually dictated. But I was never asked about that. No one ever, you know, when people went into the EU, just quickly, I'm conscious of time, but when we went into the EU, we joined 
um, there were six countries and we joined the EU because it was about trade barriers. It meant that we could trade with countries. When they talk about um, the, the, the whole trading block there, uh, we, we will lose the single, we, will, we mustn't leave because we will, lose, we will then exit the single market. They determine the single market is just European countries. And by joining the EU, we have stopped and we have control in regard to not being able to trade with the rest of the world. The World Trade Organization, we cannot go to that organization as a separate country at the moment while we're a member of the EU, but we're coming out. If you're a member of the EU, one person representing all the 26, 27 countries goes to the World Trade Organization on everyone's behalf. That is ridiculous. We should all be there under our own, under our own steam. Oh, man, this show has just flown right out the window between you and Dr. Bell. Um, just got one question for you, because you mentioned someone, the show that you had been on here in the United States, and he's now in Europe, uh, now, now in Israel. Uh, first name wouldn't have been Gotti, would it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a good friend <laughs> Very of much. He Oh, brilliant. Well, he's a sweetheart. well, if they're listening, hello. Um, yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I had the privilege to uh, be on there. Um and can I just give a another plug to Orbiter? Is that okay? Absolutely. Go ahead. I extended the show a few extra minutes so you can plug the film and also push okay, forward well that, between Lions and Lamb. Well, that is really kind of you. Well, if we, if we just say, you know, in regard to uh, between Lambs and Lions, then please go on, uh, find it on YouTube, click on it, share it, make a comment. That'd be that'd be fantastic. Um, but in regard to Orbiter, I think more importantly right now, you know, go on to www.orbitermovie.com and go on to that donate button and uh, donate some money because we stand a chance to make a film that will change change the culture to actually bring in, be able to uh, talk about Christ and to actually change the culture and reach the millennials. And there is no doubt about it, as I say, and I'm not just saying that, saying this, but in regards to the fact that my two friends, you know, have uh, have suffered a heck of a lot for this uh, career uh, career wise. And um, David David Rossler, with with the talents that he has, we have a we have a chance to bring uh, 3D movie to the Christian genre. So please go on there, find it, donate. If there's any questions. You can always come back to me, find me, um, www.creativehubproductionslimited.com. There's an email there. Find me. Find me on Facebook. Send me, send me a message. Um, but, no, so uh, that would be amazing, Anne. Well, thank you very much, and it's a pleasure speaking with you. We've been Skyping back and forth and messaging on Facebook, but it's a pleasure to now speak to you one-on-one like this. God bless you for all well, the hard work you do, Mark. And and thank you. Um, that's really, really kind of you. And it's been an absolute delight to do it. Um, been delight to talk to you. And I would love to be able to do it again, madam, if you would have me on. Oh, anytime. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll be speaking with you and we'll get you back on real soon. Okay. All right. God bless. Thank you very much indeed. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Uh, God bless. Mark Mark Sutherland, check out his website. There's a link on the show page to Creative Hub Publications Limited. Click on that link to find out about it. There's also a link to the film 
uh, between lime, lambs and lines. I will have the other link up shortly. Uh, hopefully I'll have that up tonight. Just wasn't letting me put it up right now. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. We will be back here on Tuesday. Well, actually, I should say Kel and Curtis will be here because my husband's having a surgical procedure on uh, Tuesday. If I do make it, it'll be towards the end of the show um, Depends upon what happens at the hospital. But I want to thank everyone for listening. You're going to have Curtis, uh, Latresa Jones, and Bobby Hartman on. And then come next oh, yeah. Friday, we have Lucretia Hughes, who uh, she was with us up at the Tea Party Coalition Convention in Myrtle Beach uh, earlier this year. And Jim Horn, who okay. missed out on the other show because he was daydreaming, will be with us on Friday. So we got great shows lined up uh, and a lot to talk about. I mean, we're booked solid through to the 25th. Uh, so we'll keep everyone posted. want to thank everyone that watched up on YouTube and Facebook that participated in the chat room over here. And I'll leave you with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. So until then, I say good night and God bless and have a blessed weekend. Yeah.